Market Lane Coffee respectfully acknowledges the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung people of the Kulin Nation, the traditional custodians of the land on which we live and work. We pay respect to their elders and to the history, legacy and contemporary cultures of all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. Welcome to Coffee Up by Market Lane Coffee, a podcast for our growing community of like-minded businesses who want to serve delicious, ethical and sustainable coffees. My name's Tyson. In late 2022, in between opening our new Queen Street and Sydney Road shops, Market Lane co-owner Jason sat down with Einar, our retail training manager, to record a series of three podcast conversations to share some of Jason's experiences and tips on things to consider when opening your own coffee shop. In part one, Jason and Einar discussed the importance of establishing a purpose for your coffee shop, what to consider when choosing a location, why witty puns aren't always the best choice when naming your business, and why it's important to establish a realistic budget early. Today in part two, Jason and Einar will discuss some of the ways to navigate council regulations and heritage listings, how to negotiate a commercial lease, and what to consider when establishing a timeline for the fit out of your new shop. Without further ado, here are Jason and Ina. Shall we talk about uh, council regulations first? Yeah, I think so. That's the hardest one to get around. So it's a fairly important one. So when looking at a prospective site, so say you've you found a location, you really like the look of it, it's really important to check how the property is zoned because if it's zoned one way or another, it will impact what you can do on that property. And that's basically council um, mandating that you can't open, you know, an industrial foundry in a residential zone or you can't open a loud nightclub in a residential zone or you can't you know it's to control the amenity of the local neighborhood um there are a few there are many different zones but the ones that affect hospitality are commercial zone uh, capital city zone uh, industrial zone and residential zone now it is possible to rezone your property so for example when we opened faraday street it was classed as a residential zone but it was the last property in the residential zone and we went to the council and said please let us open a cafe here they said just put in a planning permit application we can change it from residential to commercial because it's it is sort of a commercial zoned area anyway and it took a lot of time and effort but we got there in the end so that was fine but i would definitely recommend checking out the zoning on your property and uh, picking only only choosing a property that's zoned correctly or that has a good chance of being rezoned to a correct zone and if you need any help who would you go to ask you ask planning consultants so you would we used a planning consultant called hansen partners for uh, western street we needed a planning permit to open a coffee roastery and basically they helped us put the case forward to the council and they stayed in touch with them but getting a planning permit for some things can take a few months but for our coffee roastery for example a planning permit took 12 months to get and it was expensive so if you can avoid a planning permit um it's definitely best to avoid it so i think in the first episode you your recommendation to save money is to take over something that was probably a cafe or a food business already and it's very likely that that is in a appropriate zone all right so we got the zone sorted are there any other regulations that we need to look out for Yeah, we need to comply with the Food Act um if we're making coffee or serving food and this basically says that you're going to be handling food safely. Um and it's not very difficult to to get registered for with the Food Act, but it is different for each council. Um and some some councils are a bit more picky than others. Um but but in general it, it's very 
um, self-explanatory and fairly easy to use. The, there's like a, guide, a fit-out guide as to what sort of materials you need to use and um, regulations around what sinks need to go where and things like that. But it's an important one and you can't skip it because you'll get in trouble. And how about your friends at uh, Heritage Victoria? Yeah, good question. They're actually quite helpful and um, quite proactive. They're quite good on the phone. So if you do find yourself in a heritage building, you can always just give them a call and have a chat as to what you can do and what you can't do. And it's better to be on the front foot with that as well because there can be some remediation works if you uh, put a nail in the wrong spot in a heritage building. But again, you, you can check this on on the internet. You can go to like planning schemes online and check if the, the building you're in is uh, has a heritage overlay on it or if it's uh, on the heritage register. Um, for example, Collins Street's on the heritage register because it's an extremely old, important building in Melbourne. And I think also Victoria Street and uh, Delhi. Mm-hmm. And Queen Street as well all have a heritage overlay on them. And just outside the shop, there's uh, usually a footpath. Usually there's a footpath and <laughs> usually it's nice to try and put some tables and chairs out on it as Melbournians do love a bit of alfresco coffee drinking. Uh, but there are there are regulations again. Now, they've they've really softened the, the enforcement of these regulations in the last three years. So cafes now are getting away with lots of things they wouldn't get away with before. And I think that's COVID related. So I wouldn't be surprised if it, if it does get reeled back in at some point. Um, but basically you've got to make sure that you leave access on the footpath um, along the building line so that people can find their way uh, on the footpath, especially if they're disabled or they, you know, uh, have a wheelchair or they need some, they need access to basically the building line ha- should have clear access to it. How about um, access for wheelchair, things like that. Is that uh, relevant? Excellent question. Again, if the work that you do to the cafe to fit it out triggers a building permit, then you have to comply with all the new building codes. So if you're doing so much work to a space that you do require a building permit, and it's a, it's a little bit vague as to when you need a building permit and when you don't, but basically if you're using a commercial builder or if you're altering the people flow through a space, so for example, if you block off an entry or if you put a wall up or if you put a new door in. If you do works over a certain amount, you'll need a building permit as well. Um, it's a little bit vague. You can use a building surveyor to tell you whether you need a building permit. The rule of thumb is though, basically, if you're doing if you're doing anything structural, then you will probably need a building permit. And uh, the building permit, like I said, it, it triggers all the, the requirements of a new building, which means it needs to be accessible. And that means that in general, it, need, it will need to have a ramp up into the main entry or a, you know, a slope down um, into the shop. It'll, the front door will need to be at least 900, 950 wide, whatever it is. Um, and if you have toilets, then they will need to be disabled access compatible. So they'll need to be quite wide, a big turning room in, in the toilets, things like that. that. That's all to say, if you can avoid triggering a building permit, again, it's good to avoid it because it does bring up a lot of things. Fire safety, again, is another regulation with building permits. You need to have um, proper lighting so that if there's a power outage, then special lights come on and show you where the exit is, sprinklers, all that kind of stuff. When we, when we talked about finding a place that was a cafe in the past, if you're taking that over and not doing very much to it at all, then you don't need a building permit, you don't need a planning permit. And you basically, you don't have to worry about those things like equal access or fire escapes, things like that. But those kind of plans seems like probably need the help of an architect that will probably be aware of. Yeah, exactly. If you think you're going to need a building permit, then you'll also need an architect and you'll need a commercial builder. So if if you're starting to go down that line, then you probably want to decide whether you want a much smaller operation and a much smaller fit out and cost, or you're happy to go a little bit bigger. 
hopefully that goes smoothly and we find uh, a nice location. We want to secure the lease. Mm -hmm. Shall we talk about how to negotiate with whoever is on the other side of the table? How do you negotiate the lease? It depends who you're talking to, I think is the most important the most important thing to remember. So for instance, you could be talking to a family who are in a building and they have only leased the shop once or twice and you're a new tenant. So negotiating with them, you're probably not going to need a lawyer. You're probably not going to have a lot of back and forth. You're probably not going to need to go as far as you would go with say a developer. So in that instance, you would probably sit down with them and talk to them and say, ask them what they're looking for and try and keep it really simple and fair. With Sydney Road, that's basically our, our, the shop that we're opening now. That's basically what we did. The negotiations were very, very short. They said, we want this uh, rent for the, for the tenancy. We said, that sounds fair. We want this, this much rent free. They said, that sounds fair. And we moved on. So that was it. And we used a standard, uh, standard lease form from the internet. And, uh, we had our lawyer look over it. They had their lawyer look over it and we just signed it. So very straightforward. Yeah, I was talking to you about the uh, rent-free period. Mm. Um, that is a uh, commercial lease kind of mm-hmm. uh, standard, I suppose, yep. uh, which unfortunately uh, apartments that you rent don't come uh, with a period <laughs> of rent-free. No. <laughs> uh, so can you explain what that rent-free period is for? Yeah, it's it's basically an incentive for you to do a nice job fitting the space out and an incentive for you to, to be able to stay. So... When a landlord is leasing you a space, they're they're leasing you, sometimes they're leasing you a completely blank canvas. So a space that has only floors, ceilings, walls, but no finishes, no, you know, no timber on the floors, no plaster on the walls, no plumbing anywhere. And it's going to take some time to fit it out. And during that fit out time, you're obviously not trading and it's, it's hard to sustain, sustain a business, especially a new one or a small one where you're not getting any income, but you're spending money on the fit out. So it's an incentive. The incentive could be um, a month uh, rent-free for every year of the lease. So for example, if you're signing a five-year lease, it might be a five-month five month rent-free period to fit it out. Um, but basically the, the way you should think about it is how long will you be fitting it out while you're not trading? And, and, and that's the really crucial time from when you sign the lease to when you are able to trade and in negotiating a lease you can stagger it a little bit so you can say uh the lease commences you know in three months time and in three months time that's when the lease commences and that's when the fit out period starts and then the fit out period finishes three months after that and then the rent free period starts and and so on so you can sort of stagger it with especially with developers or with, you know, more corporate landlords, you can sort of stagger it out and sort of delay when you have to start paying rent. And I think another thing to keep in mind is that commercial leases are usually for a little bit longer than uh, residential ones. It's usually five or 10 years or something like that. Yeah, usually the minimum is three years. Um, people will try and do leases for one or two years, but the, the thing with a lease is that it's completely binding. So if you're signing a lease... You're, you're liable, your, your company's liable for the full three years of rent, no matter what happens. So if it doesn't work out in the first year, you're liable for the full three years. Uh, but there are upsides because it means you have time to establish a business and you have a chance to make your money back off the fit out. We found the ideal location mm-hmm. in the right zone, got a good lease. Yeah. 
Uh, let's talk about uh, the timeline for opening the shop. We got the name and the purpose and uh, the budget is okay. Mm -hmm. uh, the lease is signed. We got the keys. Let's talk about what happens next, the timeline for opening the shop. Yeah, well, I think it depends on, um, again, what sort of size and how confident you are that, that the um, tenant or that the project will go ahead. And if it seems really positive to you that, you know, you think early on this is all going to go ahead, I would be engaging someone to help me draw the space and get an idea of what sort of um, fit up budget I would need, what sort of layout, um, whether I'd need an architect or a builder quite early on. So even, you know, in, in early negotiations with the landlord or even when we start to talk about leasing the place, I would start to try and get a really good idea of the type of fit out and the type of timeline that we're going to have um, for this place because that will also determine the negotiations. You know, if you're negotiating on a, a very big site where we, where you'll use an architect and a builder, you can use the plans from the architect and say, look, we're going to do a fantastic job here. We're going to do a really nice fit out. So we need more rent-free period. We, we need a bigger contribution from you to make this a really special place. So yeah, the timeline is sort of dictated a little bit on the scope of works. But say, say it's a, an existing cafe and, you know, you're, you're doing a really simple, you know, a paint job, you're going to replace some countertops and put a nicer espresso machine in there. Then hopefully it will only be out of action for a few weeks um, and you can get everything lined up and back open. If it's a very long negotiation with the developer, it could take, you know, six months or a year, much longer. Mm. Just before you mentioned someone to help you draw the space, who are they? Who helps you draw? Well, it depends if they need to be registered. So if you're, if, you're, if you're fitting out a very large space and you want to use a builder, then they will need to be an architect. Um, if you're fitting out a smaller space and you're looking at doing a lot of it yourself, they can be an interior designer or a decorator or you can do it yourself. You know, SketchUp isn't that hard to use. You can have a look at it and, and work out the layout and some finishes and fixtures and, and have a go yourself if it's not too, if the scope of works isn't too great. Um, of course, you're always going to need a plumber. You're always going to need an electrician. You can't get around doing plumbing work or electri electrical work yourself if you're unregistered. But painting in maybe not the same professional finish as a professional painter, but you could probably do it yourself? You can definitely paint yourself. Of course, you probably won't get the same quality finish, but paint shops are always happy to give free advice and sell you paint. So you can definitely give that a go yourself. And also for the fit out, you could probably buy some furniture that looks nice, but maybe doesn't mm -hmm. come from the top shelf. Exactly. I mean, a lot of our, I, I think a lot of our most interesting fit outs have been the ones that we've, we've done ourselves or we've, you know, managed the, the cabinet makers for, or we've, you know, we haven't used a, a builder um, for the whole lot. Very good. So our shop is coming together. We have the electricity, we have water, we have uh, painted the walls, but we also need some equipment to make the coffee with. What kind of equipment do we need for, to start up our shop? The most basic things are, uh, you know, an espresso machine, a grinder and a water filter, I think, a fridge as well. You, you don't really need a lot and you can you can do a lot with very little, I think, you know, especially if you're willing to spend the time and make customer service your focus and, and really base the experience that customers have on on you, your personality and the staff you employ, not just relying on the fact that a customer will come in and see a $25,000 espresso machine and go, hey, that looks like it's going to be nice coffee. There's lots of secondhand equipment out there that's um, usually half or a third of the price of the retail price of, um, of new equipment. 
roasters usually get a discount from espresso machine manufacturers. So what we do with our wholesale accounts is we help them purchase espresso equipment. So if they would like to buy an espresso machine, we, we, we can usually help by passing along a discount that we get from an espresso machine manufacturer to them as well. No, I think you can spend a lot of time and money choosing the very best equipment for a cafe, but you really don't have to. We, we have, we have some very nice restaurant wholesale accounts that have, you know, more domestic size grinders. And, you know, a lot of the quality is still, it's based on the quality of coffee that they buy, not necessarily, you know, down to the particle size distribution in the grinder. Obviously EK43 grinders are great and they do a really good job and we prefer to buy them. But if I was strapped for cash and I could spend $4,000 on an EK43 or I could spend $2,000 on a fridge and then $2,000 on paint, I might spend that on paint in a fridge rather than a very expensive EK43 and I'd probably use a domestic grinder or something smaller to, to start with. It's it. It's really easy to overspend initially and it's very, very difficult to make that money back. Imagine you're only making, you're making 10% profit on every sale that you make. So you have to make, you have to turn over 10 times what you've spent to get the money back. And uh, for a filter, if you mm-hmm. <laughs> if you choose to have filter coffee on the menu, which yeah. hopefully you do, that equipment is also pretty reasonable. Yeah, it's quite reasonable. I mean, you can get a Burko boiler for you know fifteen hundred dollars, and a, the small equipment they use to to brew. If you're doing hand brew, it will only cost you a couple hundred dollars to get the setup. Again, you can overspend. You can get a Marco SP9, like the undercounter things for four thousand dollars you know or you can get a filter cone and do it yourself for like two hundred dollars you probably need a few other things like a appealing sugar station uh, speakers for the music things like that you know you you can get the vintage record player and and the lps you can get you know really high fidelity speakers or you can get a bluetooth speaker you can go one way or the other way they're both going to work as long as the space feels warm, welcoming, and you've got a smile on your face when customers walk in and the coffee tastes good. You know, that's, that's how you're going to be successful. Spending a lot on those things won't guarantee you success. So there's also a lot of back of house stuff that you can save money on. If you don't want to buy a new dishwasher, you've saved yourself $5,000. You know, you can hand wash dishes for a little while and keep a space aside for a dishwasher. Make sure there's a, the right uh, power outlet near there and, and, and plan to buy a dishwasher when you've saved up a bit of money. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed that podcast. In part three, the final podcast in this series, Jason and Ina will cover menus, merchandise, marketing, and customer service, as well as hiring staff for your new cafe. We'll be releasing part three of this series in the coming weeks, so if you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe to Coffee Up wherever you listen to your podcasts.